Pretty good. Thanks, Junie. Hey, welcome to Portico Church, Arlington. Uh, my name is Jason, if I haven't met you. Um, lead pastor here. It, it is my privilege as we open up the word together. This is how God feeds us. This is why we do it. Um, there's a lot of things we could talk about. There's a lot of needs in life. But this is, as Jesus called it, bread. Right? We, we live on this. So we're in Ruth. We've been in this for a while. I'm really enjoying it. We're in chapter 3 today. I'm going to give you a warning, a PG warning. If you have kids in the service, I would probably not let them stay with you today. We're going to talk about some adult subject matter um, that may make the ride home very interesting if you leave your kids in with you. So that's up to you, but I just wanted to let you know that today. Ruth chapter 3, if you need a Bible, we have some in the back. Feel free to to get one. when we went to our Acts 29, it's a, it's a church planting network that we're a part of, and we love being a part of that. Uh, we went um, this summer to our global gathering. I think I've mentioned some, some things about that. Really enjoy it. Uh, but there's a man who's in the network by the name of Ray Ortland. He's like the de facto grandpa of Acts 29. It's not me. Uh, and so he, he's just great. He's the lead pastor of Emmanuel Presbyterian Nashville, Tennessee. I think he actually retired this summer. Um, but he dressed us, he and another guy by the name of Sam Storms, right? They always put the old heads up to kind of encourage um, us. But here's one thing he said, and I believed him. He said, you know what? I've seen God work in our churches, in our network, in our world. He said, I, I just long to see something that only God can do. I long to be a part of something that is just obvious. Only God could do this. And you're like, yes, we want that. We want that. Do you, do you want that? How much do you think about that? How much do you long to see something? Maybe it's small, but you know it's God's work. You know it's the hand of God at work, and you're a part of it, and you see it. Maybe you prayed for it, and God did it. Maybe it's something that happened in your community group. Uh, maybe it's a healing that God, but you, you saw it. Only something God can do. How much do you want that? Let me just ask you that. Do you really long for that? I think we do. Even if you're not a believer, even if you're like, yeah, I'm just checking this church thing out, you want to be a part of something transcendent. You want something to, to rise beyond, just beyond the mundane of what you're doing and to actually believe that your life matters. Do you do that? We want that. As we're reading Ruth, one of the things that we're seeing is that the hand of God moves in the most mundane, preposterous ways. We tend to separate our spiritual life, what I do on Sundays, uh, my spiritual disciplines, I read the Bible, I pray, with the rest of my life. I go to work, I have friends. You just never see that in the Bible. There's no threshold when it comes to faith between who you are, what you do, and what you believe. And the interesting thing about the book of Ruth, you don't see God move. Oh, you can see his hand move, but it's not like an exodus where he shows up with great acts of judgment and power. It's so far behind the scenes and working through the prayers of people that it's almost imperceptible. Here's what I want you to see today as we walk through this together. There's places in your life that you are backing away from. Let's just call it the hard things. Things you don't want to think about in your life. Things you don't want to deal with. People you do not want to engage. Difficult 
things, things that would require you to risk. You might have to risk your reputation. You might have to risk money. You might have to risk time. That's where you're going to see God work. That shouldn't depress you. This is where God wants to work. And we see this today. So as we read through this narrative, watch for this. Watch for the hand of God move through the risk of his people. One of the beautiful things about the book of Ruth is we're seeing Naomi and Ruth and Boaz as they're transformed in the crucible of God's love. It's a beautiful story. It's one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible. It's quick. It moves fast. But the way that people love in this book in a horrible situation is just phenomenal. You can't look at that and not want to be a part of that. But what we'll see today is that love always embraces risk. Always embraces risk. Does that mean we just risk for the sake of risk? No, obviously not. It's love. Love always embraces risk. And one of the things you'll see today is that God is a redeemer. Sometimes we sing that. But here's what that means on the ground level. He's in your business. Redeemers are in your circumstances. Redemption doesn't happen over your head. Redemption doesn't happen to you. The Redeemer's in your circumstances. You're engaging. He's engaging. So this is such a good setting. Um, Three things you're going to see today. I just want to give you kind of the framework of what we'll walk through because it's a large section of text, uh, chapter 3. We're going to watch first Naomi. She's going to embrace really self-denial. And if you've been following with the story, this is new for her. She's going to shift. And then you're going to see Ruth embrace the impossible. You're like, well, hasn't she already done that? Not like this. And you're going to watch Boaz step in and embrace redemption. And we'll explain what that means and why that's important. So just a quick review for Ruth. It's the time of the judges. It's an evil time in Israel. Nobody wants anything to do with God. Um, It it was just really, really rough if you were a woman or a child or a a resident alien or anything like that. Um, God's people forgot how to love. They were not worshiping him. Um, We see that Ruth's or uh, Naomi's family under the leadership of Elimelech leave the promised land, leave the house of bread of Bethlehem, go into Moab to run away from a famine. Uh, she comes back 10 years later. She risks it, right? She comes back to Bethlehem. Uh, her husband is dead. Her two sons are dead. And she comes back just with Ruth, who's a young Moabite widow who makes a commitment to her and to God. And they're back. Last week, we saw God's moving. They start to receive God's promise. And here we go. Okay? So that's that's our setting. Let's let's just jump into the text. It's chapter 3. Watch for the hand of God moving through the risk of his people. Okay? Chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you? That it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young woman you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore yourself and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking." But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. 
So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me for he said to me, you must not go back empty handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in humility. I thank you that in your wisdom and in your providence and in your goodness, you do not sanitize your word. You do not make it look as though It's a world that we can't live in. Lord, you speak your truth through this narrative, and I pray, God, that you would just open our eyes that we might behold its beauty and its treasure, that we might understand as your people what it means to embrace risk and trust you in ways we've never done. Would you do that? And we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Do you have some questions? Okay, good. All right, so I'm going to walk through Naomi embraces self-denial. So we'll just start with the first movement in this narrative, a little bit of setting. This is two months after she first met Boaz. So it says at the end of chapter 2 that she stayed with Naomi and basically in the fields through barley and wheat harvest that probably started in early April, probably finished up about June. So some time has passed, and she's been with um, Naomi, but also gleaning and harvesting and storing up things. Uh, But you have to understand this. Please don't miss this. Naomi and Ruth have zero options. No options. This is a patriarchal culture. Property moves through the male descendant. 
There's no real good option for an older widowed woman and a young woman that are not, neither one who's married, to actually sustain themselves. So although, yes, they're gleaning and getting grain and storing that up, and that might last for a while, they're out of options. You've got to remember that. Still in jeopardy. So let's walk through the action here. One of the most miraculous things that happens in this narrative, aside from everything else, is namely shift of focus. Do you see this? She moves her focus from herself to Ruth. Now, you're like, so what? Hey, she lost her husband. She lost her sons. She lost her claim, really, to the hereditary land that she had in Israel. She had embraced bitterness. Who wouldn't? She had to bring somebody back from Moab, Ruth, who was going to remind her of everything that she lost. There's good reason for her to dwell in that and to stew in that for the rest of her days. But she shifts. Remember last time she started to thaw. God is blessing. God is moving. I see God connecting the dots. I see his hand moving. The fact that you met Boaz and he was so kind to you, that is not an accident. All right, so she sees that and she moves. It says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Do you remember in the very beginning of the narrative? She's like, hey, you know what? Don't come with me. Go find rest and go back to your mom's house. Go find a husband. Find rest there. For some reason, let's call it Naomi witnessing and walking in the love of God. She has turned her attention, her energy to getting Ruth married. She wants her to find the peace of a home that she lost when her son died. Um, Also notice this. You're going to see people answer their own prayers throughout this narrative. Um, I'm going to pull you back to chapter 1, verse 8. Yeah, but Naomi said to her, to daughter-in-law, go return each of you to another your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you. That's hesed. That's this covenant love that we've been talking about. That's a love that isn't just emotion, isn't just commitment, but this is when you bind yourself. Think God binding himself to the outcome of your life to bless you and to sustain you. So may the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord's love envelop you. So Naomi prays this for her, not even knowing she's going to come back to Bethlehem with her. And now you see her responding to the need of her daughter-in-law and putting that need above her own and dealing kindly with her. There's, There's a lot of stuff in here. Don't miss that. When you meet God, when you understand his love, when, you, when that becomes real and more real to you, you it will transform your, your, your energy outward. You will see need and meet it because God does that with you. When you experience his covenant love, his loyalty to you, you will begin seeing those in need around you and you will take action. So Naomi does this. She connects the dots. She knows that, let's just be practical here. There's a lot of practical stuff in here and some weird stuff, I grant it. We're going to go through all of it. She's been in the field. Listen, Ruth's been in the field with Boaz. She knows that Boaz is her relative. She knows that, that Boaz can be a redeemer. We'll get to what that actually means. They've been out there together. She's a mother-in-law. She's older than Ruth. She connects the dots, and she comes up 
with this plan. And she gives these instructions to Ruth. Hey, you remember Boaz? Remember him? You've been with his, his servants out in the field gleaning. He's blessed us. So here's what we're going to do. You're going to wash. You're going to anoint yourself, which is going to be perfume. You're going to dress. You're going to put your cloak on. You're going to go to the threshing floor where he's winnowing. So a threshing floor was basically just a rocky outcrop, probably some flat rock. It's where they would take the wheat and the barley and the sheaves, and they would go up there once it's dried. And it was, you know, remember, harvest is a very fun time, especially now because the famine had just ended. So there's a feel of celebration. So the threshing floor is almost like a little bit of a gathering place. But you would take the wheat heads and you would throw them up with a fork into the wind because it was usually on a cliff or in a little elevated place. And the wheat heads would separate and fall onto the rock, and you would get rid of the chaff. So it's how they actually got the grain out of the barley and the wheat. So that's the threshing floor. So go up there. Now, Boaz is probably staying there overnight. Apparently he is. And the reason is because it's valuable. Like, you don't want to leave your stuff there at night. So he's not even going back home into the city. She knows, Naomi knows, that he will be staying there overnight. So you're going to go there. You're going to watch, right? This, first of all, this is dangerous. I, I hope you don't, like, this isn't abstract to you. This is wildly dangerous. You're going to go. You're going to wait. You're going to watch after everything's calmed down and dinner's done and he's drunk and everybody kind of disperses, you're going to creep in and you're going to hang out at his feet. Um, and you're going to watch and you're going to wait and you're going to do what he says to do. So we need to ask, this is the Bible. <laughs> we, need to, we need to answer some questions. So here's two dichotomies. Did she send him up? I'm just going to say this. Did she send him up there to hook up? Some people will say yes. That's how life works, my friend. Go get your man. Here's the other one. Oh, no, she would never do that. It's in the Bible. No, no, she, she would never want Ruth and Boaz to be attracted to one another. She would never want them to get married. That would be forcing the hand of God. I'm going to ask you to live in some tension here. All right? I'm going to ask you to live in some tension here. There is all kinds of sexual tension in this right here. I'm just going to tell you right now. Do I believe she sent her up there to hook it? Absolutely not. And the text will show you that. But is there sexual tension deliberately in the word? Yeah, there is. Right? Um, there is. First of all, this threshing floor. It's not a good place. <laughs> Um, and we even see in Hosea 9, chapter 9, it was a place of prostitution. It's outside the city. Like, it's, like there's a lot of stuff going on. The families aren't around. Prostitutes would actually go out to the threshing floor during the harvest season and work the threshing floor. Okay? So it's not good. Um, chapter, or verse 4, if we could just look at that for a second. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet. That can be a euphemism for genitals. I'm just going to throw that out there. It's also used for just legs and feet. So there's some ambiguity there. Um, lie down, and he will tell you what to do. You cannot miss the tension here. So here, here's what you're supposed to see. You're supposed to be really bothered right now. You're supposed to go, this is the absolute worst thing I have ever... You want to reach into the narrative and say, what are you doing, Naomi? Don't listen to her. She's crazy. You don't need to do that. 
You are, you are meant to see this as a horror show. Like when the person in, you know, in the scary house is like, I'm going to go outside to my car and get some marshmallows. You know, and, but we heard some noise out there. Oh, it'll be fine. Don't do it. Lock yourself in. You are meant to see the tension here. And you're, it, the narrator, he wants you to, this is not, this is awful. Don't do this. Do not do it. Before we get into how all that works out, I want you to understand a few things here. Uh, Paul Miller in his book, which I recommended to you, um, called A Loving Life, that goes through all of Ruth, and it's a great book, I recommend it. He talks about something in there called the J-curve. He says, you, you basically do not grow in Christ or experience a relationship other than just um, in any meaningful way until you're willing to let things die in your life so that new things can come to life. For instance, um, Naomi, because of her circumstances, is very much focused on herself. And that's basically normal. She's had some tragedy. Forget about that. It's normal for everybody. Everything in you says, protect yourself, express yourself, be yourself, seek your happiness, do what's right in your own eyes, serve you. That is normal. She shifts after seeing God move, and she lets that self-focus die. But you can't just back away from it. You have to move it. And she moves it. Ruth, do this. It's it's going to work. I didn't even know if she knew it was going to work out. I think it was a huge risk. I think it was a bad idea. I'm just going to throw that out there. I think it was a very bad idea. She had to die to self-focus. This J-curve, as he calls it, it patterns the life of Christ, death and resurrection. So hard things that you're faced with, things that you will not initiate on, You're holding on to death. You won't let it go. Evil dies only through death. Only when we let things die that God might bring things to life in us. So was it reckless? I think so. It doesn't tell it, right? We see how the story ends out, but let me just ask you this. What's more reckless? What Naomi did, presumably with some faith, or what you don't do? The fact that you are holding on to inaction, you will not risk when it comes to what God is calling you, what God has put before you, the tension God has put in your life. You will back away from it. You will not deal with the conflict. What's more reckless, right? Think about that as we move into the second movement. So Naomi embraces self-denial. She does that. Small, but she does it. Let's flow through the rest of this. Now, Ruth embraces something that is just, she embraces the impossible. I don't know who this woman is. I don't understand how her experience in faith um, and her commitment to both God and Naomi was so rock solid, but it is. There is so many levels of danger here for Ruth, I can't even explain them all. It's night, She's a Moabite. She's not from there. She doesn't have any real family there. She probably doesn't have any real friends. There's probably some resentment from Boaz's crew. So if she's caught out there, it's not going to end well. This is the time in the judges where horrible things happen to women. 
And she's sneaking out to the threshing floor, which is known for danger to women and prostitution. She's going to go out there. So there is no part of this story that looks good to Ruth. She's, her, she's putting herself in danger. Now I'm going to push pause for a second. Please do not hear this and go home and say, hey, the pastor said you should risk and do sexually crazy things if God just opens that opportunity for you. This, please, this is historical narrative short story wisdom. What does that mean? It's narrative. It's not prescriptive. It's a description of what's happening. You're not supposed to say, well, Ruth did this, so I'm going to go do that too. Pull the principle. Find out, do you know what she's really doing? Well, get there. Pull the principle out of it. So when it comes to history in the Bible, we pull the principle When Jesus says, love your neighbor, you do it. It's not a principle. It's a command, okay? So it's it's descriptive, not prescriptive. So Boaz, she she does it. She goes out there. Boaz, he he eats. He he drinks his fill. He's merry. Um, He lays down by a, a sheaf of wheat. On the threshing floor, she creeps in. She's careful to do everything Naomi says, except there's a few things she doesn't do. She, takes, she, she goes beyond what Naomi says, and kind of in a good way. It takes incredible courage for her. So about midnight, now that means something, because nothing good happens at midnight, ever. In any book of the Bible, in any show, in any piece of literature, nothing good ever happens at midnight. We are meant to feel the fullness of the doom. You are meant to say, and here it comes. Now, Naomi, I wish you were there so you could save her. Let's see what she says. I have to go back to the text here. At midnight, the man who was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, who are you? You know, you know what he could have said? You know how many things he could have said right there? Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. If you had written that story, you'd have said, No, Ruth, you are crazy. You are, you are, you're way out of your league. What are you doing? This is wrong. This is inappropriate. This is, this is audacious. Who put you up to this? Do you you know what a threshing floor is all about? How do you expect me to take this? And what she says is full of courage. She says, she didn't say, I belong to Nomi. I am Ruth. And she didn't say, I'm one of your servants. Really, the word there is like, above his servants. I'm a servant. Spread your wing or cloak over me. She had uncovered his legs and she's basically saying, put that cloak on me. So what, what's really happening here? She, pro- she proposed to him. There's, there's no two ways about it. Ruth has proposed to Boaz. Like, I thought that didn't happen then. Well, it didn't. This is why it's shocking. What you really need to know is Why? What you really need to know is why did she do that? 
Listen to how Boaz makes his conclusion. Because in historical narrative, especially in Hebrew narrative, the words of the characters reveal the character completely. So how Boaz responds is key here. What does he say? He says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this kindness, that's covenant love, that's hesed, you have made this kindness greater than the first. What does he mean by that? What was the first kindness that Ruth did? She left her family and her people and her country and her gods to come worship Yahweh, to commit her life to God and to Naomi, and to live for her under the wings of God. And he, he estimated that as her great love. Now he says, what you've done is a greater kindness than what you did before. Do you know why? Because he knows she's being consistent. Ruth has said, wherever you go, I will go. Your God will be my God. Your people are my people. Where you die, I will. Ruth has gone to the Redeemer to raise up a child for Naomi. Naomi lost her husband and she lost her sons. In Israel, that means you lost your land. You don't really have a claim to it. So Naomi sees an opportunity. So Naomi, Ruth sees an opportunity. It's funny because Naomi sends her out very practical. You're gonna, he's a good dude. You're going to want to marry him. And Naomi's like, I'm going to raise up I'm going to raise up a name for us. I'm going to protect the name. And Boaz Boaz instantly knows it. He calls it a greater kindness than the first. And he even says this, like, you could have gone after younger men. You could have gone after power. You could have gone after status and protection and security and loneliness and love and all these things that we marry for, but you didn't. You came to me, and I know why you did it. You came to me because I can be a redeemer for you and Naomi and the whole line. That's just amazing. We don't even have a category for that. We marry for so many reasons, we would, but not commitment. So she does that, and he calls her worthy. Um, he calls her a worthy woman. He calls her greatly kind. Um, it, I think he's kind of into her. I'm just going to say that. I think he appreciates her, and he loves her. Like, honestly, character is beautiful. And he just, he just puts her up there. But he says, you know what? Yes, but there's another redeemer closer to your family than me. And Boaz follows the law, but not to the exclusion of the spirit of it. He's like, if he will redeem you, great. If not, as the Lord lives, and I believe that he does, I will redeem you. He makes a commitment to her. Here's what had to die in Boaz to do this, his future. It kind of seems wealthy to me. I'm just going to be honest. He's of some age. He's established in the community. He has a reputation. If he's going to unite himself to Ruth, a Moabite, he's going to have to take her on as a wife He's going to have to, oh, oh, by the way, you get Naomi too. You're going to have to provide for her. And oh, by the way, any land that comes with them, um, that's going to go with their line, not yours. Um, He has to give up his future. 
He has to hold it out. He has to surrender. Just like Ruth had to surrender the outcome when she walks up to that threshing floor, he has to surrender his future. He has to die to it. Just like she has to die to the fact that she has virtually no options as she walks into the threshing floor, he has to die to his future. And they both, here's what's crazy, they both act in covenant love. They, they both recognize it in one another, and they, and, they, and they act or risk in line with their love. Um, yeah, there's so many but what ifs here. So let's follow through with what Boaz does. He embraces redemption. Um, a kinsman redeemer. Let me just explain that in context. Um, when, when God pulls out a people, so Exodus 6, 8, when God, this is the huge saving act in the Bible. God pulls out Israel out of the house of bondage, delivers them. And in Exodus 6, 8, he says, I will, I will redeem you, he word, with an outstretched arm, with mighty acts of judgment, and you will, I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. He establishes a family. He gives them a land, and he means to reestablish Eden, where love will reign, and he will reign. They have his law, they have this land, and they are to live in it in love. And they are to be a light to the nations. It didn't work out. We know that. But God is, the point here is God is establishing a family. So what does a kinsman redeemer do? A kinsman redeemer is somebody that's close to the family that, make, that redeems the family. When things fall apart, this person steps in in love because it wasn't actually demanded of you or even commanded in Deuteronomy. It was an option. The door was open. But the redeemer would come in and make the family whole again. There's a couple ways they would do it. Justice, if something unjust was happening, they could step in. Um, here's a common way that redeemers would walk in, debt. So let's say that you have a lot of school debt. Maybe you have a redeemer that would come in and just wipe it out. Wouldn't that be great? They would, but it's, it was dangerous back in this time because you could go to jail for debt. You could be in slavery. You could lose your land that you belong to. You. So the redeemer could come in, clear your debt, give your land back, and now you can actually survive. Do you see how that works? A kinsman redeemer was critical to operating in love in the land. And then what you're seeing here is called loverite marriage. Um, in the ancient Near East, it was a thing. Uh, Levi, it's really just brother-in-law, but loverite marriage, and actually still happens in some places, where if the husband dies, the brother-in-law can step in, Boaz is not the brother-in-law, but he extends it to that, can step in and raise up children for that for his brother, right? And, and protect and care for that woman. And if you're like, that is so far beyond anything that I, I yes, but just understand the time, okay? Understand the situation. So this is, this is what he's doing. Boaz understands that he is a kinsman, kin, close, relative, redeemer. And he makes a commitment. As the Lord lives, I will redeem you. And then he protects her. He says, you know what? Stay here tonight. This is one of the reasons we know that they didn't have sex. He calls her a worthy woman, right? And then he says, stay here. There's a couple of different words you can use for, in Hebrew for that. It's like, hey, spend the night. That's like in English, you know what that means. But he's like, lodge here. 
take up lodging in the threshing floor. There's no connotations whatsoever that he's like, and just to get things started, right? There's nothing like that whatsoever. He's honorable. She's honorable. She is embraced by God's love as is he, and it's serious to them, right? It's, it's the commitment. So um, he, and she, and he protects her reputation, uh, and then this is very key. He gives her a bunch of grain. Why does it end that way? Is he just, just a good guy? Maybe, um, but he gives her so much grain, if you look at the text, probably had to wrap it up in the cloak and put it on her. So she's like, like going back um, all the way into the city with all this grain. Oh, do you know why he did it? He understands his role. What was Naomi's problem? I left here full, but I came back. Remember, what does it say? She came back to Bethlehem. Remember when she's complaining? I left here full, but I'm bitter now. Call me Mara, because I left her full and came back what? Empty. Same word. I don't know if it's just providence or by his discernment. It feels like discernment to me. He knows her. They're related. He becomes the hand of the God. He has prayed for them, that God would bless them, that the Lord would pray you, Ruth, for your kindness, that the Lord would bless you. And now he becomes the answer to the prayer. He becomes the hand of God moving. He becomes the love that is active and not just in concept. God is working. He becomes the blessing. And then I love what she says. This kind of wraps up the idea here. So like, this is what Ruth says. Remember, what Ruth repeats is really important to her. When you repeat word-for-word things in a story, that really impacted you. Like, she's like, hey, and she said, you must not go back to your mom and lie empty-handed. And you know what Naomi heard? God loves me. God is providing for me. Yes, Boaz is a good man. Hallelujah. You guys will be a good couple, but whatever. God is moving. The hand of God is moving through the goodness of his people, through those that will not give over to idolatry that will love God with her heart, mind, soul, and strength. And she continues to warm on that. Um, But notice this. She tells Ruth to wait. This is so key. Side note. Um, And why does she tell Ruth to wait? She's like, calm down. Wait here. If he said it, he's going to do it. It's a little complicated. There might be another reading. Don't worry about it. His word is good. This is not what the story is about, but it's, it's very much in here. Is your word good? It's all about commitment. I, I just want to pull this into this idea that love embraces risk. Because if you're not someone who can show up, if you cancel stuff by text 20 minutes before you get there, if you cannot make a commitment, you are not going to see God move in and through your life. I'm just going to tell you that to your face. Because you're not. If you will not respond to what God gives you, if you will not make commitments in the most simple ways to what God has placed before you, the hard stuff and the good stuff, if you cannot walk in that, you are pulling yourself out of what we would call God's providence. You will not see God's hand move. Prayer is not just, I'm going to pray for somebody, then sit back, or I'm going to ask God. No, you initiate in faith. And what you see here in Ruth is you see God using these people, both Naomi in a small way, Ruth in a huge way, and also Boaz, 
to bring about his blessing in real time in Israel. How many times have you prayed for somebody and then you felt like the Lord would have you go talk to them or even send them a text or invite them over, but you're like, no, I'm just going to pray for them. No, that's not the call. That's not how love works. Now, sometimes we don't have the opportunity, right? And it's good to pray for somebody, but maybe instead of praying about the conflict you have with somebody, you should do that and then move into it. Maybe instead of praying about your coworker coming to Christ, they should know you go to church and you like it. Maybe you should initiate the conversation. Love always embrace risk. If you are unwilling to do that, there's no death of sin in your life, really. You'll hold on to it. And there's no new life that comes through what God has for you. Right? That saying, everything you've ever wanted is on the other side of fear, it really is true. And the way that both Naomi, reckless, I get it, but Ruth and Boaz handle it are good example of how God expects us to embrace risk and how to love. It's so practical. (sighs) Everything in you. Everything. It's telling you to protect your plans. Put yourself first. Nobody else is going to do it. Express yourself in the best way you can, always, at every cost. Do what makes you happy. You've got to embrace love first. You can't expect the hand of God to move in a life like that. You're your own God. Okay? For this to be real, You have to embrace first love. You have to embrace the love that God has for you first. Like Ruth, you have to leave whatever you're holding on to and embrace what God has for you. Do you know that as we get to the end of the story, the whole point is to move your eyes to the coming king, to move your eyes to the true kinsman redeemer. Do you know that when you submit yourself to Christ, God becomes your kin. Do you know what that means? You belong to God, just like Exodus 6. You belong to him. He belongs to you. Your kin, the true kinsman redeemer, Christ, comes, gets rid of or blots out your debt that comes from personal sin. He gives you a name. He places you in his family. It's his work. You cannot forge that on your own. And then we learn to live our lives as God's people, which means you will always have to embrace risk. But you're never going to have to embrace this risk that you will be rejected or unloved because God's people never have to experience that. If you can live on that, then you understand the gospel. This is what Jesus has done for you. And this is a strange, strange precursor of what he was doing. But it's real. So, do you want to see something really that only God can do? Are you willing to risk? 
Where's the one area, the hard thing that you're avoiding at all costs? Maybe it's dropping a sin. Maybe it's reestablishing a relationship with somebody. Where's the love that's too hard? That's what, that's what God has for you. That's the, the ridiculous risk of the threshing floor for you. He will never leave you alone. He will never forsake you. He never forgets about you. And yes, he gives you a family, even so that when we walk through the valley of death, you do not need to fear evil. You don't need to fear evil. This is what God is calling us to do. Love, embrace, risk. But first you need to know that you're embraced by God. Would you do that? Can you, maybe that's where you need to risk. Maybe you need to surrender. Maybe you need to, to give him your life. Maybe you need to repent of sin and just give yourself to him. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Um, I thank you for this book. Uh, it's strange. It's good. It's hard. It's, it happened so long ago, yet it feels so relevant to right now. And I pray, Lord Jesus, um, that you would make us so cognizant of the embrace that you have on us, how your love removes our sin, gives us your righteousness, places us in the hands of God, that we will be ready and willing to let go of everything, Lord, to risk that we might walk the road you've put us on, both individually and together. Thank you, and it's in your name we pray. Revelation, we read this in chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. 
and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved their lives not even unto death. If you feel condemned, accused, looked over, forgotten, useless, done, powerless, abused, oppressed, or maybe you're the abuser or oppressor, this right here is the meal that starts everything over. This is the biggest risk you're going to take today. And it's this, that you'll accept the right standing that God has for you by receiving it. But if you knew, now, 